spend some time in, in the Word. I'm going to have you join me in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You might find that a surprising place to go for a Thanksgiving Eve service. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. Do you know who officially set November, the fourth Thursday of November, as as the holiday for Thanksgiving. What's that? Abraham Lincoln did. Abraham Lincoln did. I'll tell you a bit of a story to get you started uh, this evening. Uh, he is the one who set the date, in case you wonder. How did that ever come about? Um, there were a lot of presidents who ordered... Uh, a time for Thanksgiving. And there were a lot of varieties in when they would declare it was time for Thanksgiving. Um, All the way back to 1861, they had days set aside for businesses to be closed for Thanksgiving Day. Uh, So it wasn't anything new to the country to have one day set apart for that, but it was up to each individual state to pick whichever day they wanted. And so, one state might pick October something or other, and another one would pick September, another one would pick a different date. And so, you just, there was no consistency throughout the country. And and if you just happened to need to do business in another state, and that was Thanksgiving Day for them, everything was closed. And so, uh, there was an individual by the name of Sarah uh, Hale. She was a 74-year-old magazine editor, and she wrote to Abraham Lincoln. She, she had had enough. Every now and then, some people get that way. They say, this has to make some sense. So she, she wrote to him in 1863 and said, why can't you just pick one day for us and everyone celebrate it at the same time and make it a national holiday? And he did respond to her request. And that's kind of interesting because she had made that same petition for 15 years to all the previous presidents that came up in that year. And this is what he said. The year that is drawing toward its close close, has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, we are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are so extraordinary in nature, that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensitive to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed. And harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While the theater has been greatly contracted, the advancing armies and navies of the Union, needful diversions um, of the weary and the strength and the fields of peaceful industry of our nation's defense, have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship, the axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines as well as iron and coal 
of all the precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased. Notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege and the battlefield and the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel has devised, nor has any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that we should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledging, as with one heart and one voice, by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States, and also those who are at seas, those who are sojourning in foreign lands, to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessing, that they do also with humble penitence for our nation's perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, and mourners, and sufferers, in the lamentable civil strife, which is an unavoidable engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and restore it as soon as may be constant with his divine purpose to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Isn't that quite a statement? I, I read that, and I, I see those words, and I think, you know, it does well for a country to have leadership that will acknowledge the Lord. No human counsel, he said, has devised or any mortal hand has worked out these great things. They are the gracious gift of the Most High God. I love the way he said it so quickly. This is because of God's hand. He says, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. So good words. I would desire that the leaders of our land return to such proclamations, but I would desire, first of all, that our leaders first return to the Lord. Because it's far better for a nation to have righteousness than empty proclamations. In this world, it's a believer who's called to give thanks. That's what Scripture tells us to do. Uh, we're to give thanks with a full heart. We are the ones who know what God has done. We read it in His Word, but we're also the recipients of those very things He has done, right? We should know. Matter of fact, if anyone's going to talk about His goodness, it ought to be those who know His goodness, who have experienced that. And, and I think that's what the call is for us, and what He's doing now, and what He's going to do. These things God has made known to us. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, one of my favorite books to read in the, in the New Testament, uh, he gave a series of commands to them. Some of them you find uh, very familiar. But he gave a series of commands to a very busy congregation. They were young in the faith. 
They were thoroughly challenged in living out that faith in the midst of persecution. The Thessalonians were just three months old, and they were under some of the heaviest persecutions you read of in the New Testament. They were suffering in that kind of a setting, uh, and yet they were so dedicated to living out their faith that the whole world was hearing of it. Paul says, your testimony is just going from place to place to place throughout the whole world. And people were hearing of the faith of these people. Uh, They were busy, though, in maturing in their faith, encouraging the faint-hearted, correcting the wayward, lifting up the weak, defending against false teaching, spreading the word. They were a very, very busy congregation. All the things that will make for a very healthy fellowship. Yet Paul did not hesitate to give them commands. <laughs> Almost like some people say, well, you guys are so busy, I'm not going to bother you. Paul says, you guys are so busy, I've got to tell you something to do. And so he issued a series of commands, and some of these you would recognize it just by hearing them. They were all in chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's just a handful of some of the things he told them. Now, he could have easily just said, Rejoice, pray, give thanks. He could have said it that way because well, that's pretty much the way we say it around here. That's what we say. Well, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, make sure we rejoice and pray and give thanks, right? Three important parts of it. But but what's interesting is Paul put parameters with those words. And the words that he goes with rejoice is always. And the word that goes with pray is without ceasing. And the words that go with give thanks is in everything. Always, without ceasing, in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But people come up and say, I don't know God's will for me. I don't know what God wants for me. I don't know God's will. They come to that verse. That's God's will, isn't it? In everything you say, for it is God's will for you. It is God's will. It's his proclamation to his children as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we certainly don't want to limit that to one day a year, obviously. If there's such words as always in part of the definition of what he tells them to do. Now, you might be expecting at this moment that uh, here comes your sermon on Thanksgiving. And it's going to be one of those things where uh, the pastor talks about how short we are at gratitude or or how we lack attention in rejoicing, or we don't pray enough, or, you know, one of those kind of things. Um, Personally, this pastor believes this fellowship has a very healthy way of fellowship with the Lord. I like what I see. I love the prayer in this church. When somebody's need is is, uh, presented, how quickly people jump on it and say, we're going to pray about that. and How they fellowship with one another. How quick we are in giving thanks. I love to see that. And it encourages my heart. I don't feel tonight that I need to correct those points, you see. When I hear them, I think, wow, there's some beautiful things in the middle of a busy fellowship. 
that are evident of, of their love for the Lord. Praying, rejoicing, giving thanks. The only thing that, that bothers me about the passage is this. That Paul had to command it in the first place. Wouldn't it sound nice to say, just keep on. Keep on praying. Keep on rejoicing. Keep on giving thanks. So he says, pray. He says, wow. Why do we need to hear the command? Is it not because our hearts are prone to get so busy in the things that we're called to do that we forget about essentials that we are to do as well. The Lord does know us, doesn't he? He knows us very well. He knows how busy our lives can get. He knows how we can get wrapped up in the needs of the present. We lose sight of the things that really matter. I think of two sisters when I think of a busy schedule, it's in Luke chapter 10. You know their names? They both start with an M. <laughs> One's name, Mary, and the other, her sister, Martha. Here's what was going on. Jesus was traveling along and he went into the village and he went to the home where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, it mentions that uh, Martha had a sister named Mary, and Mary was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words as he spoke. And Martha, in verse number 40, this is the words, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Wow, what a phrase that is. We say, I think I know this. <laughs> but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. This is a great word, Paris. Perispao, Greek scholars. Uh, we never learned that one in our vocabulary list. It means to drag it around. <laughs> to drag it around. You, you just grab that thing and just drag it around, drag it around. That's the word that is used for Martha that way. It, what was distracting her was this thing she had. She was just dragging it around, and that was all her preparations. <laughs> Was, was a burden. And you can almost picture the word. Drag is a good word for it, isn't it? And that's just a heavy, lumbering kind of dragging along and dragging along kind of picture. And I saw that and I started to laugh about it because distractions, when you're over-occupied, you're too busy, they don't come welcomed. They, we don't look at them and say, wow, it's wonderful, I've got another thing on the list. We, we don't look at it that way. They just, they're heavier. They feel heavy. And that was a word. That's the Greek word that goes with this. She's dragging it along. And so she came up to the Lord. And the verse says, Lord, do you not care? What a way to start with that. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. Could you imagine that? Jesus says, Mary, get up. No, he didn't do that, did he? The Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, 
which shall not be taken away from her. That's the end of the story in the Bible. I wonder what happened in the next five minutes. Speculation. Pure speculation. But based on human response, she came up. There's so much work here, I'm doing it all by myself. Make her help me. Alright. Option number one. Martha felt the sting of rebuke. She felt rejected. She felt angry. She stomped off to the kitchen. She started banging pots and pans, grumbling under her breath, stirring viciously something in a bowl. It doesn't say that, does it? Option number two. Mary felt as though she had neglected her sister, saw how busy was and, and how burdened she was, and she felt the need to jump up and assist Martha so that they could finish sooner, get the task completed so they can enjoy Jesus' teaching together. She kind of responded a little bit out of guilt that she hadn't been helping. Martha, option three, realized her busyness was a distraction. She stopped. She considered the words of Jesus. She pulled off the apron, found a seat on the floor next to her sister. The story was unfinished. I can't tell you which one happened. More than likely, the first one didn't. Just wild guess. Maybe the third one was a pretty strong Maybe Martha did respond. Maybe Mary got up and she helped. I don't know. It's funny how the Lord never told us the rest of that story. Left it there as if, as if it's waiting yet for somebody to finish it. Like in so many of our scenarios, huh? You say, well, how would I do this? If it was played out, how would I do it? There might be dozens of ways that it might play out in different homes. And, and I don't know if we start to divide into Martha's teams and Mary teams and who's, who's right and who's wrong and all those kind of things. It won't do us any good. Uh, I thought A.W. Tozer used a phrase in some of his books that were very, it was very catching to me. He called it the tyranny of the pressing need. The tyranny of the pressing need. These things must be done. And that's what life is like so many times, isn't it? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I told you to go there. That's where I want you to look at something with me for a few minutes. Here in chapter 3, start in verse number 1 and recognize a couple of things here that we've seen before. All the way through verse 8. There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth. A time to die. A time to plant. And a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill. And a time to heal. A time to tear down. And a time to build up. A time to weep. And a time to laugh. A time to mourn. A time to dance. A time to throw stones. And a time to gather stones. A time to embrace. 
and a time to shun in breaking, a time to search, and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, and a time to sew together, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace seen that before those contrast all the way through there you know what's very interesting to me the Ecclesiastes book is included in the section of scripture we call wisdom literature right say okay this is this is wise stuff this is deep stuff this book is giving a perspective of life on this earth over and over he says this is what happens under the sun under the sun, under the sun. He just keeps repeating that phrase throughout the book. Um, it shows if we can live an entire life with all the events of, of what's coming and what's going at their proper time, the conclusion by the author, Solomon, I believe, is that it's vanity. It's very depressing to read the book, to tell the truth. Don't, don't read it if you're already depressed. Uh, because it just drives you even deeper down when you think it's vanity, it's, it's emptiness and he tells us why living a life with a time for this and a time for that and a time for this and a time for that without any recognition of your creator is a waste of a life chapter 12 remember your creator in the days of your talks about that so vividly that's a conclusion he comes to that we must acknowledge our creator now that is important but here's what intrigues me about this book the most from one chapter all the way to the end he never mentions thanks there is no thanks in this book there is no gratitude there is no thankfulness. I look for the words in my in my computer-generated search button, looking for all these words. They're not there in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think that's rather interesting. God who made us is never thanked for what he has done for us in this book. In a sense, it's a very very heavy Martha type of book the life that Solomon talks of here is distracted with all the preparations of life all the things that he's dragging about and dragging about and dragging about with him when you saw this list here in chapter 3 notice it never said there's a time to give thanks And maybe that's good. Because following the pattern, what would have to be the opposite? <laughs> There's a time for... No, we can't go there, can we? Is there a time when we are to be unthankful? You see, that would contrast what Scripture says. Wouldn't it? When Paul says, in everything give thanks, 
if Solomon had wrote, there's a time to give thanks and a time not to give thanks, those would not mesh in Scripture, would they? It's very interesting that there is no reference to giving thanks in the book. No thanks is in this book. What is the alternative to being thankful? Everything is a big word, isn't it? In everything, give thanks. In that list, let's go through it again and put the word thanks with them. And it sounds funny. A time to give birth. Is that a time for thanks? Yes. A time to die. Say, wait a minute. (laughs) Is that a time to give thanks? For a believer, it certainly is. A time to plant. Thank you, Lord. A time to uproot what is planted. That's a new one. A time to kill. Really? He said in everything, didn't he? A time to heal. Oh, yes, we'll give thanks for that one. You see how selective we can be? Say, well, I'm more comfortable giving thanks for this, but not so much for that. A time to weep. We don't think of thanks related to that. A time to laugh. We say, okay, let's thank him for that. A time to throw stones. Hmm. A time to gather stones. Would we put thanks with that? Would we put thanks to a time to search and a time to give up what is lost? A time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent, a time to speak? It's interesting when you go over the list again and include that phrase, in everything give thanks. For he tells us what everything looks like in a life. What an interesting study that would be. Can we add gratitude to verse 2? Can we add gratitude to verse 3? Can we add gratitude to verse number 4 and 5? Even verse 6 and 7? Can we put gratitude in verse number 8? Wow, that's an interesting one. Thank you, Lord, that it's time to hate. Say, what? Isn't that an interesting statement? Say, no, wait a minute. Pastor, I think think there's only certain times. Who would give thanks for war? The music. (laughs) People who create the tanks. Um, I would say that it's sometimes hard to find a place to put gratitude in these things. There are some very difficult situations represented in these words. And we may hesitate. We may say that looks funny to be grateful for events like that. There are times when we think, no thanks is better because of the situation. 
So I'll pop it into another type of picture for you. When I was in high school, went to a public school. Uh, it was a very large public school. There were 600 in my graduating class. Uh, I was a believer. I was just starting to to appreciate what it meant to be a Christian, and I knew I was different because of that. Went to school with several friends that went to church with me, and of course we felt like we ought to kind of band together at lunchtime, you know, when when all these others are out there, we thought, well, it's safe to have lunch with our Christian friends. So we, we would sit together at the table there uh, in order to have lunch. We tried to be spiritual a little because we understood before you eat, you're supposed to give thanks. But we didn't want anyone to know we did it. It was a secret way of giving thanks. <laughs> we, we were incognito Christians. We, we didn't want anyone to notice it. So, you know, we, there was always these tricks you'd try to do and everything else. It, it wasn't that we didn't want to give thanks. We just didn't want to be discovered giving thanks. I remember those days so vividly because my conscience pricked me every single time I sat down at that table. Because not everybody at the table was a believer. And we didn't all sit together and pray out loud either. There was that quick one. You know, it was secretive. It was as, as I just wonder what the Lord thought on the other side of that. But that's my picture of of the distractions, the things that we have in this life, the things that occupy our minds, the things that are difficult that list in Ecclesiastes where he says in everything give thanks in the New Testament we go back and we look at everything and we say there's some hard places to do that there are some very hard places to do that there's a time to give thanks and a time to refrain from giving thanks you never find that verse in scripture There's a proclamation made, and I showed, told you that already. A proclamation that acknowledged that no human counsel has devised nor has any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, have nevertheless remembered mercy. That was thanks no matter what in his day. In the middle of a civil war, he says, we ought to stop and give thanks. We ought to stop and give thanks. Set it apart and observe it. It's a day of thanksgiving and praise to our Father who benefits us. Our Father who dwells in the heavens. So tomorrow, we carry on what we're told to do. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, yes, that's the word. <laughs> In everything, give thanks. And it's not because Abraham Lincoln told you to. 
This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What a thought, huh? I didn't have you come here tonight to say, no, i got to stomp you and make you do this, because like I already told, me, told you, I love to see what goes on in this fellowship. People who, to me, exemplify these words, who rejoice much. I don't know if always is always there, but we rejoice a lot in this fellowship. We pray a lot. And we do give thanks. Let's just keep it going. As we already said, there's another generation that needs to learn this, right? So let's do it. Heavenly Father, we do stop this evening and say thank you. When we look over the course of a life and we see all the things that are the ingredients of it, the bitter things and the sweet things, the coarse things and the smooth things, the, the things that sound beautiful and the things that just grate against our ears. When we think of the challenges and we think of the victories and we think of the fact that you are God and these lives have been designed by you and every part and every piece is a good gift from our Father above. And it's the only gift you give, is that which is good. Remind us again, Lord, that yes, in everything, we give thanks. And it may sound funny at times. And it may seem to contradict the very mood or the feeling that we're having. It might seem, Lord, that the burdens are great and we're dragging them about. We want somebody else to jump up and do their part because it feels like we do it alone. We want somebody else to share the load. We want somebody else to be told to get busy. And yet, Lord, I think it's clear you talk to our hearts and say, you are busy. But give thanks while you are busy. Rejoice while you are busy pray while you are busy just a simple reminder that our lives have their source in you and all of these things bring us back to you for it's to you that we rejoice it's to you that we pray it's to you that we give thanks thank you for what you've done for us I pray your blessing on our day tomorrow as we celebrate a holiday, may not just be the celebration of a day, may it be the celebration of the life you've given to us. And may we be quick to pass it on to the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen.